You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Magna Method. Today's guest is Christine Cavallo. Christine is straight out of the great state of Florida, a recent graduate of Stanford University, and is currently training for the 2020 Olympics in rowing. Christine also set a world record in the junior lightweight 2000 meter and 500 meter events at the 2012 and 2013 Crash B Indoor Rowing Championships. And before we get into the episode, if you're in the need of a workout plan that will suit you best, don't forget to check out magnamethod.com and browse some of the workout plans that Mark has provided on his site as a part of his new online training curriculum. And now without further ado, another great episode of The Magna Method with Christine Cavallo. Welcome to The Magna Method Podcast. Today is a very special podcast. I'm very fortunate to sit down with a special athlete. Uh, Christine Cavallo is a current U.S. lightweight rower and Olympic hopeful, and she's got a lot of great information. I want to hear her story, and she's uh, a hell of a competitor. So welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. So uh, about two weeks ago, I was in this office, and I was scrolling through Instagram and one of my trainers asked who the uh, 2K female champ was. And to my knowledge, it was you in, and I show your Instagram. And what I remember most about your Instagram was the picture post. You posted a picture of yourself saying, you know, there was a pain look on your face as you did the 2K row. And I was thinking, man, I know what that feels like. And you, you wrote a, uh, the content at the bottom said, you know, I don't remember it being as bad as I look, right? Yeah, yeah. And later on that day, we were connected by uh, my row coach, Rob Carson. And I said, the, it's a small world because we were looking at your Instagram and later on that day, I'm exchanging messages with you and you were coming to Miami. Now you're here. It's awesome to have you. And then she's in anatomy and to my small fear or delight, I got to do a row session with you, which was awesome. But let's let's first talk about your your path in rowing and when you started in your athletic career. I want to hear all about it. Um, so I started rowing in 2009. Um, I had done track, soccer, and cross country concurrently, uh, either doubling up the seasons or doing them subsequently. Um, I messed up my knee in a soccer tournament and it wasn't diagnosed properly. So I ended up re-injuring it about a dozen times over the course of a year uh, until someone finally got their hands on the MRI who could read it properly and said, you've, you've torn these ligaments, um, partial tears, but they've healed too long. Now your knee's gonna sublux in and out. You basically can't do anything with a contact sport. Uh, so soccer's off. Um, and really 
at this point in where your your knees uh, where your knees at, you can't do anything with lateral movement. Um, so I planned on sticking with track, and I was told I could pivot into swimming or rowing as another sport or a cross train for the track and field season. Um, and I have pretty bad asthma, so I have a tendency to not want to go underwater for long periods of time. The more oxygen I can get at all times, the better. Um, so I just haphazardly picked rowing as my cross train, but then got into it and ended up never running track again after that. And about 10 years later, uh, still training. What made you stick with rowing? Because to me it's torturous, but that's exactly why I love it. But what did you find that you, you love the most about rowing? Uh, it's torturous. I came into the sport with a decent amount of fitness that I had built through other channels that translated well onto the rowing machine. Um, I think if you have drive, it incentivizes being on the rowing machine. If you can figure out how to tap into that drive, it incentivizes being on the rowing machine. Uh, the rowing machine can also build that for literally any person who sits on it and is willing to just pick up the handle. Um, so I found that to be an incredible source of validation. And then just day after day, because I was willing to show up uh, and keep making myself a better athlete, I ended up just getting enough momentum where now I'm still here. And it's rough, but I think the highs, as long as the highs are outweighing the lows, uh, it's worth it to stick with whatever you're doing. And that's been the case with me for rowing. It, it, has it been, you, you row singles? Currently, yes. And are, are you a team person? Or are you more like an individual type of athlete? Um, so when I first started, I swore that I would never race a single. Um, I hated it. I couldn't self-motivate. I needed someone in front of me or behind me that I would pull for. Like I couldn't envision getting out there and hitting the numbers I needed to hit just for my own ego's sake. Um, it wasn't enjoyable to me. Um, so in all of high school and college, you're on a team program. You don't race singles. And that was that was my wheelhouse. I absolutely loved elevating myself and elevating the people around me. Because uh, truly, like with the eight person boats, you're only as fast as your weakest link. Um, and so the better culture you can create, it's this whole dynamic to racing and singles take that away. Like you have to be internal, you have to self-motivate. Um, now that I'm at this level, I have a huge appreciation for that and I, have put myself in a situation where I'm not training alone. So I'm in a single, uh, it's probably comparable to being on a rowing machine alone, uh, where it's one thing to do a workout by yourself and another thing to have someone sitting next to you on the machine or someone lining up with you at your practice where you can push off of them and push with them. Um, and I think tapping into that community, even if you're in a single, uh, that's been absolutely game changing. Now, I, I'm new to rowing, but um, listen, I, I, I got to thank you because I had an absolute blast rowing with you the other day. We did four minutes on, four minutes off, and it was supposed to be at 30 strokes a minute. Yeah. And I, from what I'm told, because after I posted that, uh, several people reached out to me and said, gross. Like that was, <laughs> that was really uh, nuts to do. 
and she was like making it look easy but I think with rowing you really have to have something special inside like an internal drive and you clearly have that uh, Christine for a period of time did something extraordinary and I know she's continuing to do extraordinary things but she set the world record in the 2k row with the time of 654 654.1.1. Tell us about that, please. Um, because everyone says the 2K is everything, right? To me, it is, and I love it, but it takes a special person to push through that event. Yeah. Um, so there's a ton of ways to measure success in rowing. It's like, it, there's a lot of facets to the sport, but when it boils down to it, the 2000 meter distance is the Olympic distance and 2000 meters on the erg is probably one of the uh clearest indicators of an athlete's power where if they can throw down a fast erg you can teach them the technical stuff it's kind of hard to work the other way where if they're a beautiful rower but don't have the engine uh it's hard to it's hard to train some of those gears um so in high school i was pretty fast as a freshman uh got faster every year. And then my senior year, I did a 2K in December and I set the junior world record. Um, it's, it's only official if you do it at a rowing race. So I, and I was two pounds over the weight limit. So I had to lose two pounds, which is psychologically harder than it is physically on your body. Um, got down to race weight. Um, and then I had to travel to my race, wasn't feeling great on the day, but was able to pull off the record. Um, and then your local race gets you a flight. Uh, if you go a certain speed, they will pay for you to go to the world championships. So I took off and went to the world championships two weeks later and rebroke the record. Um, but you, well, wait, 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 are you there by yourself? Are you there with your parents? Um, are you there with your I was friends? there with my coach came with me. Okay. And my, now how many people are there competing for this? Uh, at the world championships, a few thousand, there's probably a little bit over a hundred in my event from, um, all, from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's but pretty is, cool. Is there a certain country that like is like holds the rights or the, the bragging rights traditionally or historically in that event? Like, is it Australia or the UK? Um, for my specific event, which is not the all time 2k it's lightweight women so women 135 pounds or lighter um the previous record holder had been a athlete who was south african um and she held it for eight years and i was my record in high school was 10 seconds off of her so in my mind i've in a full collegiate career i only dropped 10 seconds on my erg actually only nine seconds um but wait, people don't understand. That's the that's an eternity. It's no? an eternity when you get down to that level. Right. You know, like once you once you get to the edge of what's considered capable, uh, a decimal point is everything. Whereas as you're getting started, if you drop 10 seconds a year, that means you're you're training very successfully. Anything more than that, like you're making leaps and bounds to reach your physiology and anything less than that, like there's still huge wins as you get lower and lower in these numbers. Um, yeah, it's not a linear scale of dropping time, especially if I'm doing all of this training while weighing the exact same amount. It's re 
redesigning my body composition where how do I get more muscle? How do I get more power? How do I sustain all of that? How do I make it work pound for pound to be the strongest? Uh, it's a fun game, but then my, uh, honestly, I thought someone was about to break my junior record. Um, so I was like, the, the only way I can recover from this is if I break the all time record. Uh, so I talked to my coach into letting me go to the world championships last year mm -hmm. uh, or in early 2018 and break it there. Um, but at this point, it's a side product of other goals that I want to achieve. So it's amazing. Um, I, it was really fun to do. I'm trying not to get sucked into it because there's a few other things I have to do first. Um, and then if it can if it can work out, I'll I'll go to another race like that. But for now, it's it was an awesome uh, little carrot along the journey. And you get off that uh, you get off that or you're you're so you're happy. You're celebrating. Do you know right away that you set the world record? Oh, yeah. I added down to the decimal points. OK. And what do you feel like? Describe that feeling. Um, 700 meters to go. I knew how my body was feeling and that it was just going to it was going to click in. Um, so I had my coach behind me who's basically her role was to calm me down. Uh, it's really easy to get overexcited in those uh, arenas and then you go too hard and you blow up. Um, so about 15 strokes into the race, it's roughly 250 strokes, but who's counting? Um, 15 strokes into the race, she's just sitting behind me, settle, settle, get to pace, settle. Um, just calm, cool, collected, uh, knowing that I have gears to shift into on the back end and there's no reason to blow myself up in the front end. Um, so in the last 750, I just start dropping speed, dropping speed, and I'm watching my average tick down, knowing that I have to get to 143.5 uh, to be in the clear, definitely under. I could have done 143.6, 143.7 would have been uh, kind of a toss up whether I would have gone just over or just under. Uh, but yeah, I had that memorized to the stroke. I'm sure. And you go and celebrate? Uh, no, I went to bed. Exactly. You, you must have been so tired. So the next day I was uh, getting on the water in D.C. where a potential doubles partner for 2020 happened to live. The uh, day after? She raced me. Uh, she came in second. And then the next day we were on the water together getting some session in. It was, I was tight. My uh, There was more that had been done physically during that 2K than I guess I realized. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, just a, a small little step. It's definitely not the end goal. No, no, not at all. And, and tell us about your, your lifting, because when we were talking the other day, I, I definitely picked up on the fact that you really can't get much bigger, right? So how do you do your, your lifting and your weight training? Um, lifting... I in, I included that in my training from high school. Uh, I got a lifting coach between my sessions on the water and uh, my rowing practices, and I ended up um, building a pretty good uh, relationship with weightlifting. Uh, good mobility, good uh, good focus, and all of that stuff. I have a huge amount of. Uh, I really appreciate training like that, and this past. 2017 year, I did a lot of training in the weight room, kind of 
because I was in a single, I was out there in uh, on the water by myself. I didn't have a coach regularly. I didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, so my community was the weight room and I would go lift like three hour sessions. You like the weight room. I love the weight room. I love it. Um, and I had a really good weights coach when I was um, finishing up in California. And then um, I got to a point where I needed to make weight and I knew that I, I wasn't going to lose a ton of muscle mass and it wasn't necessary to um, stop lifting, but it was more of a psychological thing. I stopped lifting. I stopped taking creatine. I just filled the time that I was lifting with steady cardio um, and kind of had to work my way down to competition weight. Um, and I haven't lifted consistently since February 2018. Uh, rowing builds a ton of muscle while it also uh, builds cardio. Like it's a, it works 86% of the muscles in your body when you take a rowing stroke. So I'm shocked that you had, you know that stat. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, gotta but keep it, them all in check. Yeah, it's so complete. You know, sometimes I don't do a lot of my weightlifting and I'm looking at my body and I'm like, dude, like I feel better than ever. And it's from rowing, really. And the, you know, redesigning your body, that was, that was a great, well that was well said i'm completely i used to be huge and bulky now i'm i'm like longer but i feel so strong i feel really good and it's teach me so much about training it's something that i completely overlooked forever and that's part of my new obsession but i, I really really appreciate it um it's crazy because cardio and weights are supposed to be counteractive right but somehow this sport has married both of them in a terribly painful way. Yeah. And you get sucked in. Yeah. I mean, it's got the strength, the crazy. I mean, I have people all the time. They say, hey, Mark, you know, I would row. It's just not that hard for me. And my response immediately is you're definitely doing that <laughs> because the pain scale is infinite. And it gets the better you get, the more uh, technically sound you become the worse the pain becomes, I believe that, you know? Yeah, we, um, that's funny you say that. We, uh, I went on a hundred mile bike ride yesterday with two of the people I'm training with. And it was about five hours. Um, in the last 15 miles, we knew we had to hit a certain pace in order to go sub five hours which puts us over 20 miles an hour uh, for the entire distance. And it was those last 30 minutes where I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel like I'm feeling the burn after getting 85 miles in now having to push. Like, why didn't we just go harder, longer earlier? Mm -hmm. So we didn't have to like do a Hail Mary right now. Um, so we're like going 24, 25 miles an hour for the last eight miles or so to come in under. We ended up coming in at like 50, uh, 54, four hours and 54 minutes. Um, and we have a training log as well. So you, on each practice, put it on a scale of one to 10, um, how hard it was. And I put it at a, a six, cause I was, I was in that sprint at the end. And I was like, this isn't fun. And I was like, uh, this feels like maybe the first third of a 6k like it's fine it's yeah. fine i like recycling is 
sort of this level burn and rowing is just a cave. Like you can always go deeper in rowing mm -hmm. and it sucks. Yeah, it's so true, it's so <laughs> true. So what's your nutrition like for a person who really can't uh, put any weight on? Like, what, what, I mean, you, I must be so careful. You, you told me the other day that you're very specific and everything is really dialed in. Yeah. Um, so when I'm reducing cutting, um, I call it weaponizing because I think it makes it a better frame of mind. You're weaponizing down. Um, then in the off season, you're reloading. Um, but basically leaning out, the idea is to jack up your protein intake, which just satiates you a ton. Um, so when you're trying to lose weight, the idea is to eat, um, if you're training full time, you eat about 1.7 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. If you're dropping weight, you increase your protein intake to about 2.5 grams per kilo of body weight. Um, right now I am at 2.7 grams of protein per kilo. Uh, and then I'm just reducing carbohydrates and timing them before, during, and directly after my workouts. Uh, so I use them as fuel, but, um, most of my nutrition is coming from protein and I'm dropping my overall calorie intake. Uh, it's a lot of nutritional timing, which I did not appreciate fully before I was calories in, calories out. And now that I'm really getting to the fringe of uh, what I what I wanna be capable of, uh, and I wanna get to that next level, really every tool in the toolbox has gotta come out. Mm. And it's it's a lot to track and everything, but it's it's worth it. As long as the goal is still worth it, it's worth it. Right. Are you, do you ever go into uh, train? I'm sure training, but you, do nutrient timing for your races but you must go through a lot of your training sessions depleted not feeling too strong um i could i probably should go through more like that but i hate being under fueled so i go out of my way and probably mess up my diet more often than not just because i refuse to hit a wall in the middle of my practice mm -hmm. especially if i'm there training with other people um and the olympic event for lightweight women is only the double so it's only a two-person boat that's my only chance i have to find a training partner um and get to tokyo with them and the idea of not being able to finish a workout with someone else who's shown up on the day and wants to work together um i that doesn't sit well with me no but how you're big on accountability yeah so have you ever been in teams or competing or had partners that obviously started off, I'm sure you would drop someone like that. I mean, just because you need the push, you need the help, you need the support, you need them to be responsible as well. Have you ever incurred in or experienced a moment when someone wasn't accountable in the way you are? Yeah, I mean, I was a college athlete. Uh, so yeah, it happens countless times. I've been the person who's not accountable um, I think you, you rise to the situation that you need to be in. Um, and just because the people I'm training with aren't, I wasn't always as accountable, but even if people are less accountable than me, um, I've learned that the team culture in those situations is more important 
um, than the drill sergeant. So I would I would take the person who slips up every now and then, but whose heart is in the right place, than the person who shows up on time but hates the fact that they're there, um, or the person who isn't willing to lift other people up with them. I think the the detriment that that person brings outweighs anything else they could contribute. Um, so at the end of the day, there's accountability, but there's a million other factors that come in. And it's, I don't think it's black and white enough to say, oh, you messed this or that up. Like if they're willing to show up, get better, and they bring up the people around them, like I'll take them on my team any day. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting. Some people, you know, live by the sword, but they don't die by it. I mean, they're, they're very hard on others, but they don't uh, hold themselves to that high standard. I think, you know, the culture and team and being understanding and having empathy for the person that's side by side training with you is a huge part of forming a strong team. And most people think everyone wants to be like Bill Belichick and be strong and drop the hammer. And I always say, that's what you see. But what you don't know is someone like Bill Belichick he's a very he's a great communicator he's just not great communicating with the media like he communicates with his players and his coaches in the most optimal way that you can't get to that level unless you are a great communicator you're a great leader and you're great with people and i think to have a strong team you have to be great with people you just can't cut people off and discard people and leave a wake of bodies in your in your pathway so I think only we were talking about this other day coaches i think the best coaches give up control and the coaches who want to be in complete control and bring their insecurities into a weight room or into a uh i don't know a row session or whatever it may be i mean that's it's so counterproductive it's not even funny what are your thoughts on coaching and in the leadership what type of person do you want to be led by uh, I absolutely agree that the coach needs the confidence to trust and work with their athletes. Um, if you have a coach that somehow feels threatened by the athlete or the choices that the athlete are making, uh, that coach should, uh, I don't know if that coach is, uh, in the right space or frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, an athlete should never, ever have to find resistance from their coach when they're at a race or when they're in any form of competition. Um, I think that's coaching from insecurity. Um, I've had kind of two styles of coaches, um, which I was gonna go into this a little bit more, like on my own writing something up about this, but. There's the coach that coaches the team to a national championship. And he knows all of his pawns. Um, he's got everything lined up. He can see the trajectory based on the tools he has, what has to happen over this season, over these seven months, where do we need to be at these different checkpoints to get from point A to national championship. Um, and it's like this long game uh, master. Uh, it's like you're playing chess and you're, you're however many steps ahead of your opponent, but at times he will get ahead of his own athletes. Um, 
ultimately you bring a team to a national championship, but you might lose some of the individuals along the way uh, because that process isn't always super transparent. Uh, but generally, like if you're good at what you do, the benefits outweigh the cons. Do you have any aspirations to be a coach after uh, your athletic performance career is, is over? Um, I've thought about it. I definitely thought about it because I've had some coaches recently who don't coach to the team, but they coach to the athlete. Mm -hmm. And as a side product, the team does well because every single athlete is elevated to the best that he or she can be. Um, you then result in a successful season. You don't aim for the national championship. You aim for the betterment of every individual. And as a side product, you succeed in the races and the short-term measures, um, but you leave a better person. And having been exposed to coaches like that, um, the opportunity to be that for someone else in any form, if I can contribute that, uh, I could absolutely see myself um, lifting other people if I have the opportunity. I think you'd be a great coach. I think you'd be a tough coach. You ever seen the movie Whiplash? I don't think I have. You gotta see that movie. Okay. You gotta see that movie. <laughs> very tough, very tough. So I wanna hear about your pathway to the Olympics. Like, what is this like? Like, I don't think people understand, number one, what an Olympic hopeful goes through in that it's not a glorious past. Like, you have to be so focused, single-mindedness of purpose, and you have to be prepared to it's like work hard with no crowds to there's no glory there's nothing until hopefully you get there and win what's it like what's this path like um i can't give a perfect answer to this because i'm still on it um so it's probably better to talk to someone on this you'll get a better answer if you talk to someone in retrospect i guess but speaking from the middle of it i am in the process of telling myself it's okay to not do everything like prior to what I'm doing now I was working three jobs doing my master's degree and trying to train full-time alone um, and basically I was giving 60% of everything which was 180% of myself and you just you can't spread yourself that thin and I realized that if I wanted to do anything successfully, I needed to pick one and commit to it. And for the Olympics, that's, uh, that is a closing window. Uh, for rowers, a lot, of, uh, a lot of rowers peak in their 30s, just based on the nature of the sport. Uh, but there's a chance that my event gets cut in, in 2020. So I'm on sort of an accelerated drive to oh try God. and get there by 25 years old. Um, and there's a lot of really fast women in the country that I need to elevate to get on the same level as. And I've had the chance to train with them. Um, once I said, you know, the master's degree can wait. I can defer this. I can come back. Um, I have to convince other people that what I'm doing is valid every now and then um, but it's way more important that I convince myself and then the other people don't matter as much and so I've I felt like I've had to be on the defensive about saying it um, even like 
a couple weeks ago, I was talking to someone about my training plan and they said, it doesn't seem like you have your head on straight. And I started pushing back. And finally they pushed me to a point where I threw down the next seven months of what I want to do, what I want to, what I want to achieve, how I'm going to get there. Um, like that, like you need to speak with that level of confidence about every single step you take or you will not get there. Um, so I've literally for the last 18 months been practicing saying, I'm going to the Olympics. I'm going to the Olympics. I am training to go to the Olympics. I am shooting my shot. Like I'm giving this everything I have. And there's a huge asset to the inner monologue. Um, what's unfortunate is that there are definitely people who, um, don't naysayers. There, there's always naysayers. Um, there are people who think they know it's best. And for a while they did. And I think I have to recognize that I'm evolving as a person. I'm not the same person I was last year, last month or last week. Um, and I'm slowly, a little bit too slowly, uh, gaining the confidence to push back on all of that and keep my head clear and know that every day I'm out there training, I'm getting better. I'm not in a box. I'm not stagnant. Um, and that's kind of been the hardest thing is the external variables. Uh, questioning whether I'm in the right place to do all of this, but there's no funding in it. So there's this emotional aspect that I feel of spending all this money to train with no source of income uh, and to train right. Like the nutrition is expensive. The training is expensive. My boat, I don't want to even tell you how much it costs, but it's a significant portion of my savings. Um, just the blades I row with are over a thousand dollars. Um, the, the boat, yeah, it's, it's nuts. Um, then every time you go to the world championships, you have to pay us rowing. You have to stay in the hotel. You have to figure out all these other logistics. You have to rent the boat in Europe. Um, like there is a ton of cost just to go on this journey to do it right is way more expensive. Um, and if I'm on this accelerated track to try and make it there before my event gets cut from the Olympics, like. It's, it's a whole bunch of Hail Marys, one after the other. But uh, that speaks volumes for a person that's willing to give that a shot, because most people wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, I was so close to not doing it, and I was excited about finishing my college career and then not working out for six months, buying a road bike, and then like halfway through my master's degree, starting to work out again. Um, and figure out something else to pivot to. Uh, and I just encountered some coaches, uh, one coach in particular my senior year, who just started loosening the screws in my brain uh, and said, basically, like, you have a shot at this, but you literally need to say it out loud that it's what you want to do. And she slowly eased me into it. And now, I mean, if I was the athlete I am now a year ago, it would I, just, I can't believe how different I am from when I was in college. Um, and it's been 18 months. You know, I, I hear that a lot. When people think of my behavior, my, my patterns of going from high school, college, to, to arrive, play, and try to sustain, have a life in the NFL, and who I am now, it's night and day. Like what got you here? You and you said it very well. What got you here is not going to get you 
where you're trying to go. You absolutely have to evolve, learn from your, I hate to use the word mistakes, but they're not mistakes. They're, they're only mistakes if you're a mistake repeater. Their experiences are going to help you grow. And, you know, let, 18 months ago, you're in college. You're a completely different person. In another 18 months, it's going to be unbelievable. Like, it's, but that's the wonderful part of this training in this journey, right? You're learning at this crazy fast rate and you're just figuring things out. And that's when it all comes together. The, the, the path of life. Um, you know, when you said there's no, there's no funding, like you have to figure out a way to fuel yourself and make sure that you're meeting all your athletic needs. How do you do that now? Um, well, it's it's fueling myself athletic needs and then also just the brain stimulation of something that's not rowing. Because there's this danger of training full time, especially in a high volume sport like rowing, um, where you if you have a bad practice, you go home. The only thing you're doing that day was that practice. So you sit in a dark room and you just think about the mistake and you just it eats away at you because you have nothing else to put in your brain to occupy space. Um, so I was going a little bit crazy this past summer, not having anything else to put my energy towards where I just started picking random topics and like deep dive researching them for a day and then like putting a write up on my Instagram story of like, here's what I learned about like the origin of Yugoslavia today, like really weird stuff. But like, that was just what got me gassed up enough and distracted me from the, however many thousands, tens of thousands of meters I was doing. Um, so now I'm working with a company who is actually making rowing videos. Um, uh, but it, I was a fitness instructor before I left California. That was one of my jobs. Um, so this has me, basically designing workouts and live streaming them. Um, the company is uh, called Hydro and it's Boston based, H-Y-D-R-O-W, because it, obviously it has to be a pun. Um, and it's, it's this pretty cool setup, uh, but it lets me train full time. Um, it's provided me with resources and it's provided me with an incredible community, uh, a community of just super positive people really fast like as a lightweight woman I'm kind of lucky or fortunate in that um, I'm not going to be the fastest boat class like I'm not going to beat you on an herb just by inherent like skeletal mass mm -hmm. um, so training with open weight men open weight women uh, training in different boat classes there's a ton of ways for me to get training partners out here but across the board everyone is just a really positive atmosphere positive mindset and so it's been great that I am able to financially support myself um, and also get that team aspect, even though I'm in the single right now. It, it, so that I can't buy one of those rowers now, right? You can actually the Indiegogo campaign just ended, um, but they will ship out in April. Um, yeah, they're not there. You can be a beta tester for the app right now, but you can't. Uh, the machines aren't even in America yet. We have five in the in the company uh, office. I'm dying to try this thing. 
I'm dying to try it. I have an idea, and I'm gonna have to talk to one of the uh, the idea person in that company. Maybe that person's you, but I have a great idea. But I'm not going to uh, divulge that on on the air here. Um, so, how long are you in Miami for now? Uh, tentatively, five months. Uh, in theory, I would leave at the end of March, go back up to Boston once the river is unfrozen there and I can row there again. Uh, but, you know, they don't call it chasing the dream because you end up in one place forever. So I'm just going to keep telling myself that. Um, and ultimately, the Olympics is a two athlete endeavor. So I need to get a partner. Um, who I mesh well with and can generate a lot of speed with. And wherever, uh, whatever and wherever I need to be and do to make all of that work um, as a team effort, uh, I value that a ton. So if, if that means I need to move somewhere to be with that athlete and be on a certain training planner with a certain coach, um, I'm willing to take those steps. Um, it's it's kind of like a weird dating game. That's tell us about that because I can't think of something uh, as important as finding the right. You're in like a uh, what what's the what's the app called? You're like in a in a Tinder app for finding <laughs> a world class race partner. I mean, what's harder than that? You have to mesh athletically, and like you know the mindset has to be there as well yeah uh, how, how do you do that it's it's pretty nuts uh open weight women and open weight men so rowers who don't compete in the lightweight weight class they have training centers uh in princeton and in oakland california for the women and men respectively and it's pretty simple uh you go fast enough to be invited there by the coach and then you stay and train there and try to make one of the boats and the women's USA eight has the longest winning streak in Olympic history. Uh, I think it was like they went 12 years straight without losing uh, and then fell off a little bit in 2017 and won again this past year. So like they are dominant. And if you make that boat, like you you're just you're amongst truly world class athletes. Um, there's no organizational structure for lightweight women or lightweight men. So it's really a choose your own adventure and sort of the fastest single scholar in the United States for the women or for the men lightweights, uh, they get to call all the shots. Um, and because there's no structure to it, there's not really a coach that's overseeing all of these, we call them seat races or different combinations, testing all of this stuff out. Um, so it's important to find people, surround yourself with people that you trust, um, someone who's not as deep in all of it as you are, who can pull you out and say, look, you're, you're being too stubborn on this, or you're, you're yielding too much on this. Um, ultimately it comes down to having a good community, uh, around you and a partnership that I think is balanced and willing to generate speed together and basically the goal is uh a whole that's greater than the sum of two parts so 
that that manifests from a lot of different variables coming together and a lot of stars aligning. Mm. Man, you got your work cut out for you. Do you have any prospects lined up? Yeah, so there's a few races throughout the quadrennial. Um, there's every spring and summer, there are different speed orders, um, national selection regattas and uh, trials for world championships. And athletes will throw down at those to get their name on the map. And it's sort of a, that's sort of your dating pool, I guess. Uh, you look at who's throwing their name in the hat and then you try out different combinations based on coach recommendations, um, based on their results, um, based on proximity. Like being in California was doing me no good when all the athletes are in Boston and Philadelphia. Um, being in Miami is far away from everyone, but at least it's on the East Coast and mm -hmm. I'll take warm weather and rowable water over uh, snowing in Boston pretty much any day. Right. It's cold up there, man. Really yeah. cold. Yeah. This is about as cold as it gets here. It, it, it turned, it's 75 degrees. People are walking around in Uggs. My hands were still going numb during the bike ride yesterday. Like, I, I don't, I don't have circulation. Really? Yeah. So Boston was like, it was a struggle to train some days. Oh my goodness. Because I'm just, I can't feel my hands. And you're still on the water at what temperature? Um, so there are legal temperatures that you have to get off at, but a lot of coaches will forget to check or a lot of athletes won't be under any sort of coaching jurisdiction when they go out. Um, I couldn't even tell you the numbers because I've never rode somewhere that it snows. <laughs> Um, not not career wise. I grew up in Florida in Orlando and then went out to California and got to Boston just as winter was ending and left just before it started again. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some combined air and water temperature that has to be over a certain threshold for you to be allowed to go out. But what that is, I don't know. Man. So let's talk about like your 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 rowing schedule. When I asked you, the, the, uh, we were speaking the other day about your training, and you were going to get on the concept two. You said that you actually spend a lot of time on the concept two, which was I was a little surprised. Um, how much time do you spend on a concept two indoor rower? Uh, so right now it's a lot of listening to my body. Um, at this point, I'll go indoors and be on a concept two because it means I'm in air conditioning instead of outside in the sun, uh, getting some pretty taxing miles in. So like trying to be effective um, and getting quality meters in on the water works until you get to a certain fatigue level. And there's just, I think, a threshold with how long you should be out in the sun uh, before your performance can kind of slip. And even if it's not slipping that day, you have to think about your long-term goals. So if I do uh, 27,000 meters on the water outdoors on Monday, like how am I gonna feel Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Am I gonna be totally drained? Um, so being respectful of your body in that balance, um, getting cross in on the C2 is pretty much a staple for athletes, especially through the winter. If you're somewhere where it's frozen, 
Um, and it's also a great measure of your speed. So it's good to stay in touch with those machines, uh, hop on them, do some pieces. Maybe once a week is my schedule right now. Um, and then I can get steady meters in on top of that. Um, but then like as far as getting in the overall fitness I need, um, there's the concept to erg bike. Um, there's just biking in general. There's a going on runs. Um, you kind of pick your poison with what sort of way you want to engage in cardio. Um, and if you're, if you're in a volume based sport, I think keeping it exciting is hard and important. And sometimes the C2 fits into that. Sometimes you get sick of it. Everyone gets sick of it eventually. Do you ever have those feelings? You get sick of things? Oh yeah. Yeah. What do you do? Um, I don't look 10 years down the line. When I started rowing, I didn't say, cool, in a decade from now, I'll still be doing it and I still won't be at my goal. Um, I was very careful where I don't really think I ever set my sights longer than two years out, generally. Uh, my junior and senior year of college, uh, sorry, of high school, I uh, warmed up to the idea of rowing in college. That wasn't like my burning passion when I first started. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to college, uh, my freshman year, I had a rough uh, shot at the national championship. And I basically said, look, I, I kind of hit a point where I'm ready to plateau, not do anything crazy. Like, let's just finish four years successfully. Going to have a great senior year. Don't get slower, but like, don't, don't break yourself to get faster. Um, and then I get to my senior year. And then once I can see the end, I can see a little bit farther. Um, so it was, it was nice to keep a little bit of a short to medium term mindset, which makes the goal a lot more digestible and mm -hmm. accessible. Um, and each time you hit one of those goal points, they accumulate, right? Like they accrue until you have this massive base of a decade of high volume training. And then you get to the point where I'm at, where I kind of look around and say, how did I get here? Um, I didn't even realize I was working towards this goal, but there's these patterns in what I was doing. And I think that's a really good, uh, a good way to approach pretty much anything. It's like, don't bite off more than you can chew. In fact, bite off way less than you can chew and just do a really good job at it. Um, and that's been a really validating cycle for me for years now. Impressive. Smart. I hope everyone heard that. Bite off way less than you can chew and do a really good job. I think everyone, most, I shouldn't say everyone obviously, but a lot of people want to do a hundred things it's like I'm doing all these things but I haven't mastered anything and everything is sloppy you know I mean I, but I think Christine people find it not demeaning but like they're less of a person or less of a success if they do one thing for example we have trainers at anatomy I don't hire trainers that are you know working clubs I don't hire trainers that double as real estate agents or that handle insurance I only hire trainers that this is their entire life and they have single minus a purpose to be the best trainer continue to study and evolve in the field so I don't know I just think that what you said is so powerful and I hope everyone heard it 
Yeah, it's um, the reason you feel obliged to do everything is because everyone feels that way, right? So if you can find it within yourself to pick one thing and execute it, do that. And then once you've gained confidence in doing that, slowly work on convincing the people around you that that's an okay thing. Like, as long as you think it's valid, that's the most important thing. Then once you have a handle on it, you can bring other people into your mindset and say, this is valid and slowly break down those walls around you. But we exist in a world where you need to be doing those hundred things and spreading yourself too thin. And you need to be becoming your best self and working on your body and also going out and being social with all of your friends. Like if there's no way you can be executing at the level that you're capable of if you choose to fight all of your battles simultaneously. If that's what you want to do, then there's nothing wrong with doing that either. But if if you want to really maximize something, tell yourself that it is okay to only do that thing and see what it's like to just remove a couple variables, see how much easier it gets when all of that resistance that you didn't realize was there is gone. Because there's, there's one thing to focus on what you're doing and there's another thing to have an absence of all the other things that were pulling you away from it. Mm-hmm. Like I think success is very much two part of dedicated to what you want to achieve and not letting the million other things in the background pull your energy stores away from achieving it. Right. Oh yeah, distractions, we talked about that. They're everywhere. Oh yeah. And I think it takes a big person to realize something else is a distraction. No, it might even be something that's a, a great part of our life, but it might take, it might be contributing to taking our eye off the ball. And dealing with that is not always easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So because we have heart, we have feelings, we have emotions, and we have a lot of things that, if something makes us feel good or if we enjoy something, but we know it to be a distraction, it's not normal to take it out of your life, unless the goal is still the goal right yeah yeah i found that with relationships with the people around me i found it uh, in doing my master's degree like i love what i'm studying i was studying environmental resource security and like to say that that is not also something on a very short time scale like it's incredibly important to me um that i pay attention to stuff like this because we have all sorts of things dying off and all sorts of climate disasters, fires all over California. Uh, like stuff is happening in real time. And I had to choose to step away from that, which was a moment to be selfish. Um, but this is a two year endeavor and then I can put my whole heart into something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So transitioning into, we talked about training you know, you go through these brutal workouts, you're, you're doing a ton of work, ton of volume. How do you take care of your body? Like, what, what things do you like to do? What's on your restoration recovery uh, program? A lot of sleep. A lot, a lot of sleep. How many hours you get? Um, if I get less than eight hours, I'm going to ruin someone else's day. Like, I can't function. Um, and 
So you must go to bed early. Yeah. I'm in bed by like 8 p.m. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's just, there's no way for your body to recover. And again, even if you can pull a five-hour night's sleep and do well the following day, like that sleep debt builds up and you have to think a few days down the line of, am I recovering well enough on a Monday for me to execute on a Wednesday? Um, Like you don't, each day is not in a little vacuum. So it's definitely a long-term goal. Um, Always, always got to think a few steps ahead, but uh, PT is really important. We had a great bodywork guy in Boston. Uh, We're looking to get some stuff set up in Miami just because it's easy to let the little things like stretching and mobility slip. Um, If you say, I only have an hour to work out, so I'm going to run for 59 minutes. Um, yeah, like you might get that workout in, but I think you really need to pay attention to scale. Uh, if you only have an hour in, well, that's 40 minutes of working out and 20 minutes of getting your body work and making sure that you're stretching the right things, doing whatever you need to get your spine in its right positions and strong positions. Um, just because the time reduces down doesn't mean what you think are accessory movements go away. Uh, I think it's way more important to scale everything down to fit into your schedule than to cut things out entirely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you do, uh, I don't know, can you do like the IV infusions? Can you do, uh, do you do massage? Do you do any rolfing or? Um... I tried like one session of rolfing. Um, I haven't been in a city long enough to get a long regiment of any sort of training. Like I was in Boston for eight months and 50% of the time I was overseas at races. Uh, So I've just, I haven't had any form of consistency. I moved to Miami last week. Before then I was in Boston for another two months trying to set my life up before spontaneously this Miami opportunity came up. And I think at the end of the day, Christine on a body of water, learning how to row better is the most important consistent theme Um, that just kind of throws everything else into flux. Um, If I had the resources to get body work done regularly, just like working on psoas, working on hip flexors, working on hip mobility, um, they're long-term projects. Um, So if, if I can set it up where I'm working on them with these long-term goals in mind. Um, Christine in 2019 is going to be very grateful for what Christine in 2018 did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everyone's going to ask me, to, I wanted, they want to know exactly what you eat because you are a serious competitor. You train so hard. What types of things are you putting in your body? Um, I really like mac and cheese and ice cream and steak so please don't take this diet and think that i am cold-hearted um i have my weekdays all the time we got fish tacos last night and a couple beers so there's definitely like room to find happiness uh, especially in the fall and then as we work towards racing it gets more and more meticulous um, only because that's the peak that i have chosen for myself Um, so whatever nutrition you follow, listen to your body, listen to, um, 
if you have a nutritionist, if you if you have access to a nutritionist, I would absolutely go with them. I have no legitimate training other than my own experience with all of this, but um, I really like oatmeal. I put protein powder in my oatmeal. I'll put Greek yogurt on top of the protein powder oatmeal. Um, I'll throw some berries for like simple, easy carbohydrates, and then I'll go out and do my workout. And I feel very fueled on that. Um, I think cinnamon is really good for satiating appetite. So if you add cinnamon to different foods, um, you get the sensation of feeling fuller. Um, and um, really the high protein intake is satiating. Um, I'll do a protein shake after my workout. I'll do a lot of eggs. Um, I a lot of times will fall for quantity over quality. So I'll just get like a ton of veggies like a ridiculous amount of spinach. I'll make salads that would like probably feed a family of four um, and just like spend the whole afternoon eating it just to keep myself busy because um, I like snacking. And if I can get low calorie foods to snack on, um, I'll go for that. But a lot of eggs, um, chicken breast. I tried Blue Apron for a couple weeks because um, I had a discount code and I really liked it, but it it's higher fat content than what I normally would eat. Um, so I try to mix it up, but generally it's a lot of lean proteins and salsas and no calorie uh, flavorings to make it exciting. What about high hydration water? You drink a ton of water, right? Yeah, I'm supposed to drink 90 to 100 ounces a day. And that was when I was in Boston and not sweating. Um, so right now I'm probably drinking closer to 150 ounces a day. Um, and that intake, well, it's supposed to be 90 to a hundred ounces outside of workouts. Oh, so okay. like whatever you work out, you need to replenish all of that. But, um, outside of that, getting that hydration in just, it's like a constant flush of toxins. I, whether it's psychological or not, I feel like when I overeat, um, having that level of water intake kind of mitigates the uh, high calorie intake of whatever day. Um, I don't know if it's just, I, I have no idea. Uh, right. I keep telling myself that. I believe in the placebo effect. So um, I don't need anyone to come tell me the scientific reason. Otherwise, just let me be in my bubble with yeah. that one. We don't want to know the science. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to know. <laughs> okay, cool. And you got gel packs uh, while you train. Yeah. Um, so that's, if you have a workout that burns 500 calories, um, and if you haven't eaten anything that day, you have your BMR, which is your basal metabolic rate, the calories that you're going to burn in your existence. For me, it's like 1700 calories a day. Um, and then I have my workouts on top of that, which are close to like a thousand to 1500 calories burning and that's a lot because I'm doing a disgusting amount of volume um, but normally it's maybe 500 calories so the vast majority of the calories you burn are your BMR um, so you have to eat to maintain that and also fuel your workout and it's hard if you're trying to manipulate your body weight while you're doing all of this it's just another layer on top of it but uh, my general sentiment is if I'm, I'm doing a 500 calorie workout or something that because I've done it before, I anticipate that being my calorie burn. I will eat at least 200 calories in advance of it 
um, in preparation, maybe a gel pack that's 100 calories in the middle of the workout, and then uh, the rest of the calories from that workout I will eat afterward in the form of protein and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps you sustain your energy levels so you don't get halfway through your workout and hit that wall and say, this is impossible, I can't do it. Um, it's really easy to lose a workout for a lot of different reasons uh, and blame yourself and not realize that something as simple as a snack, like a box of raisins halfway through or like my nutritionist told me a few salted dates, um, like really simple things that you can find in a Publix or whatever grocery store um, that like that can get you through a workout. Like it's, it's not it's not a, this iron will that you have to build up. There's a lot of little hacks for getting through all of this. Mm-hmm. You coffee? Love coffee. Yeah, how much? Yeah. Um, I will definitely drink it in the mornings, especially if I have to be up and super functional. Um, I've never really had a caffeine dependency, and I've never got that wired feeling of like, oh, you've drank six cups of coffee and now you're bouncing off the walls. Um, so I'll, I'll just drink coffee if I'm bored. If I'm like working in a, a coffee shop, I'll grab like one or two coffees, depending on how many hours I'm there working on a paper or project. But, um, pre-race, I probably won't do anything more than a cup of coffee, uh, just because I have that down to a T with exactly how my body performs. Uh, but outside of that, I just try to not drink caffeine after noon. How about uh, caffeine or pre-workout for rowing? I can ima- imagine it, it might not put you in the best position. Um, I've... Or have you ever? So I tried caffeine pills and did not enjoy them. Um, generally, with lightweight rowing, you weigh in two hours before your race and then that two hour window is a race to refuel. And then when you get to the starting line, it almost feels easy. Um, So I will probably get like a shot of espresso. I have my like very simple sugar calories that I take in, which are literally like, it'll be protein powder, a banana, like juice, uh, stuff that gives me very easily digestible energy. um, And then I'm ready to go. But pre-workout, I don't really take pre-workout these days. Um, sometimes I will cycle through beta alanine pills, uh, which have something to do with like your lactate acid buildup, um, or they act as a, they are normally the limiting reagent is beta alanine or some, something that beta alanine breaks down into in your body. I, I should know this science better before I spout off about it, but, um, basically it's, it's in a lot of pre-workouts and I just take exclusively the beta alanine and none of the other uh, stuff that would be in a more common pre-workout and that's been that's been probably the the only uh pill form of anything okay so is there anything that you'd like to speak to while you're on Uh, i mean we could talk for days regarding mindset self-talk the inner dialogue i can't thank you enough for hitting on that because it's powerful i think that whoever stopped you and told you you have to speak with in in with a state in a state of certainty i think that they really know what they're talking about so what 
where is your head now? What do you think you need to improve on to take? Uh, listen, it's all things. But if you had a checklist of three things you needed to improve on, what would they be? Um, that's hard because number three is going to be don't trust this checklist because it's going to change tomorrow um, and be okay with the fact that that's the case. So it, it's always in flux. It's always mm -hmm. dynamic and it's what you need on the day. Um, number one would just be to have confidence in the things you've already done. Um, write them down. Don't forget them. Go back to them if you're ever feeling low, because if you're feeling low, it means you've had a high before. Go back, reset, remember what that felt like. Don't constantly be chasing it, um, but have the confidence to know that you can get back there and walk with confidence rather than feel like you need to desperately catch or recapture something that you had before. Um, and then there's one other thing. I, okay. I hate when people tell me how to do this. So this is going to come across incredibly hypocritical. Um, if someone tells me to do this, I might like punch them in the teeth, but telling someone to smile is infuriating. Um, but telling yourself to smile, I think is a huge element of self-care that we neglect. Um, like don't, I'm never going to let someone else tell me to do it. Uh, I'm going to be in charge of my own destiny, but that's going to include me smiling more, um, and making a conscious effort to be happy in whatever I'm doing. Um, I wasn't always like that. So I recently had someone tell me, oh, you're, you're young, naive, you're inexperienced, like you have such a light about you. Uh, it'll go away, don't worry. As you're, as you're training with these faster people, like you will learn, you know, like they are not happy, this is a dark sport. Um, like you are just young and you have power, but you don't know anything and that's why you're so happy. And I wish I had the sense of mind to push back and say, no, I wasn't always this happy. Like. I've hit incredible lows in this sport and I didn't want to continue it. I felt like I needed to continue it for my team. And because I had that team, it carried me through long enough to find someone else who motivated me to keep training for myself. But I was not always optimistic and happy. I've had to find that again. And I guess I found it well enough where someone thinks this is where I've always been, um, which I, I'll take that as a blessing in disguise that I've been able to trick someone into thinking I'm a ball of sunshine because um, I'm absolutely not. But I think that your inner monologue is important and finding happiness within that inner monologue is really, really, really important. And if you're doing stuff that doesn't ever let you find that, uh, check in with yourself and ask if maybe you're not on the, the best path for, for yourself in the long term. Oh, that's great advice. Thank you very much. Great advice. I think that can speak to anyone in any industry, any field with any goal. Really. It's funny you said you weren't always a ray of sunshine. A friend of mine is working on a video project. And within this video project, he's asking my former teammates from college questions about me. And one of them said recently, Mark was always angry. And when I heard that, it shocked me and then I started to think about it and he was absolutely right.
but I needed to be angry to be successful at that time. I believe that. And I know it sounds funny, and I'm not trying to play a tough guy, but I needed to be that because if I wasn't that, I never would have had this ability to, or that warrior-like mentality that everyone needs to do what, what, what I was involved in, right? So I will tell you that the angry person is a great person to have in your back pocket because every once in a while, you gotta pull out that angry person and that angry person is a very good friend to have. Don't ever forget that. She comes out every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay, so I don't want to keep her here all day. She's busy. She needs to go home and recover. So the last thing, Christine, I do a speed round of questions so uh, our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. You can answer with one word or a sentence. And I have a few guesses what the answers to these may be, and some I have no idea. So I'm gonna start off, you you alluded to it before. Um, your favorite food, is it mac and cheese? Yeah, it's mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Well, there's a restaurant called Prime 112. Don't tell me that. In Miami. <laughs> yeah. And I don't wanna sabotage your training, but you are gonna have to try the truffle mac and cheese oh, at Prime God. 112. Okay. All right, I've said my piece. <laughs> favorite ritual? Uh, knocking on wood, quote unquote, but I actually just knock on my head because there's not always wood there. Nice. A uh, unique habit that no one knows about that may be surprising. Um, probably the last thing I just said. <laughs> Aside from knocking wood on your head. Um, I will... Oh, man. Some people floss with a finger rather than a toothbrush. Ooh. Pretty nasty. So I've had rituals in the past. I like to stay away from them. I like to keep my life as simple where I can live my best life on any given day in any given circumstances. So it's almost like my ritual is checking in with myself, making sure that what I need, I can pack up and take with me wherever I go and keeping it all internal. And I like to kind of keep the rituals to a minimum. Awesome. Favorite pastime, something you like to do to, uh relax or pass the time uh really like hiking nice any uh, location specifically i used to teach a class in the rocky mountains that was three weeks long um at like 11,000 feet at the base camp of gannett peak uh which is the highest peak in wyoming and we would go from there and then uh climb in the tetons uh, so that wyoming Wyoming in general has been my sweet spot for hiking. Nice. Sounds awesome. Do you have a favorite sports team that you follow? Um, don't judge this, but I've been waiting for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to make a comeback for a long time now. You're going to be, you, you're going to be, don't hold your breath. You're going to be waiting a while, my friend. But I appreciate the, the positive energy. Okay. Do you have a favorite athlete? Um, shoot, yes, but I'm terrible at names and I have a horrible memory. It was probably... Tell, uh, tell me. Maybe I can help. There's just some incredible women athletes. Um, I have to go with like my current like in-the-news athlete and it's probably Shillian Flanagan. 
uh, the okay. way she built the training center, um, built the other athletes up that she was training with. Like, I think that's really inspirational, but so does the rest of the country. So nice. Okay. Favorite movie of all time. Uh, Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. <laughs> right. Last book read. Um, how bad do you want it? But I, I just, I'm rereading it, so I don't know if that counts. Would that also be your favorite book? Uh, as far as reading a subject, reading a book on sort of myself as the case study of subject, yeah. Um, otherwise, I have some uh, nuclear proliferation books from my degree that I'm very interested in, and I can go on about that, uh, but that's probably not as relevant. We, I'm sure we have listeners that would be interested, <laughs> but in, in regards to our, our time scale here, we're going to save them uh, the info. Do you have, I'm imagining you don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, I watch a lot of Netflix. Okay. Things that I can take portably with me and not pay for cable. Nice. So, but do you have a favorite TV show? Um, I really like Westworld. Okay. On HBO. Yeah. Favorite movie? Uh, we did that. I was Finding Nemo. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Fa okay. Favorite type of music? Uh, I like a lot of different music. Anything with a strong bass line that I can work out to is game, set, match. Uh, but if I'm doing steady state workouts, I'll listen to like acoustic or country music. I, I was uh, going to ask if you like country. You said anything. So I always yeah, ask people yeah, country. I love country music. It's like some of it's so happy but some of it's like the guy got divorced 12 times the dog left him it can be hard yeah he sees another shadow in the house he used to live in I think there's <laughs> like four songs about that do you do you have a favorite country artist um i really like tim mcgraw and i when i was younger i went to saint john's in the virgin islands with my family and i pretty much just staked out in the town and waited for kenny chesney to walk by because i knew he had a house there it's like 14. Um, but yeah. Okay. Uh, mentor. Do you have a mentor? Um, I have a lot of really important people in my life that I can go to for advice. Um, my coaches in college, uh, Kate Burtko, um, another coach who is just super influential at a very early stage, Chris Chase. Um, sorry, uh, uh, always willing to pick up the phone and talk through things. And Chris Chase especially has been good at, uh, reminding my, reminding me like you are an asset in any situation you walk into. So don't, don't sell yourself short ever. And people are going to cast doubt on everything you do. Um, people love to poke holes and things like we all do it um remember that about other people that they operate like that you do it like we all do it but remember that other people do it and that no one is infallible um uh, and you're close you're no one's perfect but you might be closer to perfection than you think or that other people might lead you to believe right uh Number one tip for a young person, a young competitor, a young athlete that you could give them any advice. What what tip would you share with them? Do not 
silo yourself. Do not pick one thing. Um, if you are young, pick multiple things. Learn how to be motivated in all of them. Uh, be flexible. And then when it comes time, you can go down a rabbit hole with whatever sport you want to pursue, whatever you want to be passionate about. Uh, but build strength in a lot of different things first. Um, especially if it's like running, make sure you're still lifting. If it's football, make sure you can still, uh, like, I guess, depending on what position in football you're playing, like have hand-eye coordination still, or like make sure you have power. Don't be afraid to hit and get hit. Um, be versatile while you're young and it will create long-term success. Like short-term speed versus long-term power mm -hmm. is how I kind of think about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have a, uh, a training partner or a friend that was a huge uh, contributor to your life that you'd like to credit? Um, there's far too many mm -hmm. for me to credit. Maybe my junior national team pair partner because um, she was equally crazy. She does like Ironmans and like century runs and just these absolutely nuts races these days that I couldn't even fathom. I don't think my body could run for 26.2 miles. Um, but like just to, we didn't appreciate it at the time. I don't think I certainly didn't, but, uh, that, that changed my mindset, uh, pretty early on in my rowing career, just to hold these certain things as this new standard. Her name is Katie Brown. Katie Brown. Shout out to Katie. <laughs> Favorite quote. The faster you go, the sooner it's over. And that applies to getting a workout over with like 2000 meters. Uh, but it also applies to sitting, appreciating the moment you're in and not trying to rush through the highs when you get them. That's a great quote. Thank you. If there's one message one message you want to share with the world and everyone in the world would see it and i i've heard this asked multiple times on different shows and people have asked me if there was one message that would a plane would fly with a banner uh coming uh, shooting off the plane or there's a big sign on 95 north what would that message be what one message do you want to share with the world that's important to you uh Whose life did you make better today? That it is a wonderful and no powerful. This listen, guys, this is a very powerful young lady. I had a blast rowing with her. She was so kind to give me lots of great coaching and great tips. And I'm rooting for her. I would not bet against her. <laughs> Whatever she sets her mind to, she will do. So Thank you very much for being on the show, Christine. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.